everything just kind of, you just feel like the world is like pulled out under your feet when you run into a house and there's that situation and your mom's like, my mom was doing CPR on Alexis. We got her to the hospital, but she only held on for like 12 hours and passed away in the early hours of December 8th. Talk about it, but she wasn't, she didn't feel like she was getting help. She was constantly frustrated with having to retell her story over and over again. She would always want to make sure that I was okay. My mom's like, Alexis, like, are you okay? Like, I think there's always going to be like the what if, and like, what if we did this? Like, not let Alexi's story die. We wanted to do something meaningful and put our energy towards people. And if we could, like, save one more life from the way that Alexis passed away. Welcome back, everyone, to episode 2.7 of Never Give Up Radio. I'm excited to uh, not only kick this episode off uh, and continue down the trend that we've started, uh, it's been a little bit away from athletics and, and sharing some deeper stories of hope um, that are away from athletics. Uh, we are without Albie today. Uh, he's got a lot of stuff on his plate with med school, um, so it is just me today. <laughs> so I apologize that you guys are stuck with uh, just my voice, but I am uh, honored to introduce our guest today, Ashley Fletcher. Um, she has an amazing story. Um, and she's done a lot of great work after events um, that kind of turned her life around and, and turned her family's life around. Um, a couple years ago, I believe it was 2015, uh, her little sister, Alexis, uh, lost her battle from depression um, and ultimately took her own life. Um, since those events, uh, their family has done a tremendous job stepping up and really trying to bring uh, the correct conversation around mental health and implement it in, in high schools and the surrounding areas, uh, at least in the Nova Scotia area. Um, I know you guys did a bit of work with some jewelry line and kind of a, a line of hope that you really wanted to continue to share light on the conversation and, and really just bring um, the right conversation. So without further ado, Ashley, it's great to have you here on the show. Yeah, thanks, ma'am. It's really nice for you to have offered to me to come on it, and I think it's a really great story to share and important to share um, and really close and close to home. So, yeah, I'm Absolutely. excited to talk about it. I might get a bit emotional, but hopefully not. <laughs> hey, that's all life. So I, I know Albie really wanted to hop on this call. Um, this is something, you know, we, we've done shows similar to this, but I think this hits very close to home obviously not not just because i know you a little bit personally but um it's a little bit more recent than some of the other stuff we've had on and and i know obviously back three four years ago i was actually still in nova scotia and it affected the community significantly when that happened and i think there was a lot of people who were confused about the situation whether, whether they knew your family knew the situation with alexis or not um there is a lot of confusion with you know my age anyone younger and and just how could something like this happen um to someone who's who seems like everything's great and that we talk about that on the show all the time that you know we, we hide we hide from our issues all the time but was there anything really that was going on you know maybe behind the scenes that that you saw um i do think that it came on really quick and it was a 
big shock to a lot of people because, you know, from the outside, she was smiling. She still went to her dance classes. She still went to work. She still wanted to do all of those things. And, like, um, I think she hid it from a lot of people. But I do think there were some early warning signs that we saw um, that kind of came in waves and came in slowly, making it hard for, like, us as family to recognize it and, like, know what to do. Um, Right. She would, like, express being upset sometimes, but then be totally fine and, like, want to go out and do stuff and play games. And, you know, she'd be smiling and laughing, cracking all the jokes with the family and stuff. So it was hard to recognize quite a bit. But um, I do think it started mostly in, like, it kind of started to come in a bit in grade nine. I remember finding, like, a notepad or out of her um, schoolwork and, she just had a lot of, like, self-destructive words on it, and I think that was the first indication of having, like, low self-esteem and low self-worth. Right. Um, so my mom, like, talked to her about her feelings and um, tried to give her some coping mechanisms and, you know, to, like, keep her in the loop and always tell her when she's not feeling right. And then it went away for a bit, but then in grade 10, I think she started to get another wave of it. And I think school, like, stressed her out a bit, too, because she... I think she put a lot of pressure on herself because Alicia and I both excelled really well at school. So I think there was some pressure there that she put on herself to try and be as good as us at school when really she right. didn't have to be because she had so many other talents, like so many things that I wouldn't even know how to do. She would just like, um, you know, she made jewelry. She could fix your phone if it broke that she just learned that off of YouTube. She was a drawer. Wow. She could she could she made dream catchers like she did all these artistic things in her free time she could mm-hmm. sew so it's like she had all these other talents that she I don't think she understood the true value of those or didn't give her enough credit for them um so yeah I think in like grade 10 things started to take a bit more of a turn and my mom asked our family doctor to talk to Alexis about her feelings because she you know she was starting to get a bit worried and didn't think Alexis was talking about that enough and she would talk to my mom about it but she didn't think that that was um maybe she needed to talk to a doctor about it so right did she talk to your mom about it or did your mom talk to her about it which way did that go it was a bit of both I think initially like my mom was the one who would bring up some of the conversations but Alexis did also like especially in grade 12 my mom remembers getting a text from Alexis saying how she wanted to talk to my mom and she hasn't been feeling right. And my mm. mom wanted to talk to her in person about it instead of over text. She was afraid that Alexis was alone at the time at school. So, you know, Alexis had, did reach out and, like, she did want help. And uh, I think our frustration just went about how many people we had to go through to get her the right help and how many times right. we had to retell the story. That was really frustrating for Alexis when she wasn't feeling well. Mm. Um, but, yeah, I think, like, grade 10 she started smoking weed and cigarettes and that's when she started having like superficial cutting on her forearms and stuff so at that point my mom was like more worried and so she took her to a private psychologist who um, Alexis at first uh, said didn't really help her and she didn't really need to go back and she thought she was fine again so and, you know, summer rolls around and she's good. And then grade 11 hits and it's the same common trends when school starts again and she starts to have more difficulties and starts not wanting to be there. Um, she gets more stressed out with school and tests. And then she started having more trouble sleeping. And 
when she would have these troubles sleeping, she would sometimes walk at night because she would have these thoughts and it would just be easier and it would help eliminate some of the thoughts if she went for a walk. But, you know, that obviously yeah. scared my mom because how many girls, like, go walking at night, even though we're in a safe neighborhood, but still, you know. It's still scary. Yeah. <laughs> when you don't know where your daughter's walking at 2 in the morning. So. Right, for sure. She would continue going to our family doctor just to talk and have these appointments. And um, the family doctor did suggest at one point to, like, give my mom her phone at nighttime so that she wasn't distracted by other people trying to talk to her in the middle of the night. And um, also to have, like, a diffuser to help with some sleep. So Alexis willingly did all of those things. She would just hand my mom her phone at, like, 10 o'clock and go to bed. So, like, yeah. she was actively trying. Um, and then I think it was, it was like, mid-October in grade 12 when things really started to take a turn because um, she was so motivated at the end of the summer going into grade 12. We had been with our family in Manitoba for um, an extended period of time, and I think she, she even had a longer summer that summer with family because she wanted to stay. Um, right. But she came back, and she was totally like motivated she put sticky notes all over her mirror telling her um like that everyone loved her to read a chapter in her book to paint or draw something to exercise to keep her room clean like all kinds of things like that and mm -hmm. she was like also motivated to help some of her friends as well because she knew that she wasn't the only one struggling like she had a couple friends that also were struggling with issues and right, right. a lot of them claimed after Alexis passed that they had no idea that she was struggling as much as she was because she was hiding it and she more she wanted to help everybody else without right. really showing she was hurting. So it was around mid-October that my mom noticed that she started skipping classes and my mom confronted Alexis about it um, but Alexis wouldn't really talk about it. So when mm -hmm. my mom started noticing that, she was starting to get worried again about these behaviors coming back. Um, so she got another appointment with the private psychologist, and my mom went to the Cobbacquid IWK Mental Health Clinic and got the number for the appointment line because she thought that Alexa should probably have a psychiatrist see her. Um, right. So my mom called that intake staff worker talking to her and telling my mom that she was overreacting about the severity of the situation and gave an Alexis an appointment to see a psychiatrist for like late February. No way. Which, yeah, so that was four months from the date that my mom called. Uh, so Alexis, at that point, she started to not sleep again and she would leave the house in the middle of the night. She said that her thoughts were worse at night and walking around would help and she said she would get on like buses and just drive around so that she could just be out of her room and out of the house. All through this time she kept seeing the private psychologist uh, who eventually diagnosed her with depression and consulted with our family doctor that Alexis should be on a medication. Um, mm -hmm. But our family doctor Alexis went back to the family doctor and the rightfully so like it is these medications are really strong and powerful for, like, anybody to take that, you know, you don't want to put somebody on an antidepressant without being sure that they need it. So our family doctor was really hesitant to put her on a medication. So at this point, she didn't. And uh, Alexis came home, and she 
felt really discouraged because she thought that she was finally going to get something that would help her, like, get out of the position she's in and, like, lift her spirits a bit. Um, so this was actually the first time she ever had a major panic attack where she started, like, hyperventilating and um, just, like, screaming that uh, nobody understands. I'm tired of telling my story. Nobody does anything. Nothing changes. Like, she was just so frustrated and um, didn't really know what to do because she was telling people everything and, like, putting it all out there, but she didn't feel like she was getting good responses or, like, reactive measures to how she was feeling. So, yeah, so at this point, my mom started, like, freaking out at Alexis, not not at Alexis, but at the fact that she was having a panic attack, so she didn't really know what to do. So my mom called the mobile crisis team, who Mm -hmm. then came to our house with, like, police cars as well, and that um, there's a nurse that works with the crisis team and she did a whole assessment and she also agreed that Alexis should probably be on medications. And it was actually a coincidence that our family doctor had called my mom during this time just to talk about the appointment a bit. And cause my mom was at the appointment with Alexis. So all of this was shared between everybody that was there. Right. Um, so she was like talk to my mom about how things are going and so she heard the whole panic attack and the episode of the crisis team at the house and she didn't realize how bad it was so um, at that point our family doctor ended up calling the IWK to speak to a psychiatrist to get a consult for medication and then Alexis was started on Zoloft as her first medication Um, and she was really hopeful that this would help her but she was we, my mom, obviously, she made her really aware of, like, the side effects, and um, Alexis let my mom have full control over her medications because my mom was afraid of, like, an overdose or... Right. Oh, of course. Yeah, along those lines. So Alexis, like, willingly just gave my mom control over her medication and told my mom that she would tell her if her thoughts get worse or if she thinks the medication's not working and all of that. Like, Alexis wasn't trying to hide anything at all. She was mm-hmm. very open. And, like, I remember there was one point um, a consult letter came in the mail for one of her appointments, and she just left it on the counter for everybody to read so that we all knew where she was and, you know, what progress she has or hasn't made with her appointments and stuff. She started staying at, like, one of her best friend's houses because she just couldn't get away from her thoughts down in her bedroom. So she... Um, went and stayed at one of her best friends who my mom talked to her mom and uh, they willingly took Alexis in and said that she's willing to stay there whenever she needs to needs to just be away from home and no questions mm-hmm. asked and you know they were really supportive in that way but obviously they also knew that Alexis was struggling and if anything were to happen to like you know let us know immediately and we would be there um, and then around November, she um, she started to have more appointments. So she had to tell her story again and put on another wait list because we were just trying to get her in to get more help because she didn't really like going to the private psychologist. So we got her assessed and put on a wait list for, like, a group therapy and for a mental health social worker. And mm-hmm. um, she wasn't... So they originally put her on the one for mental health, the wait list for mental health, but then they, we were told that the wait list for addictions is lower, so we put her on that wait list to get in with a social worker right. there. And 
that social worker was actually the, her favorite person to talk to because she, I remember her leaving her first appointment and she was just smiling. She's like, he actually understands me. He listens to me. Like, I really like going to him. Um, but then I remember there was one day that I, my mom was working and um, I had to go to school, but I skipped, my, I skipped so many classes that fall to like, help with my mom running Alexis around everywhere because my dad mm-hmm. was away in Ottawa for um, a position. And then my sister, my older sister, was living out in BC at the time for school. So it was just my mom and I home to, like, help Alexis through all of this. Um, we also had a lot of family come out to help. But for the most yeah. part, like, I had to do so much of the driving. So I, you know, my teachers were really understanding to, like, just let me be here and be here with my mom and help and don't worry about my classes because they knew what type of student I was. They knew I would like get it all done no matter what. But uh, yeah, it was definitely challenging. And I remember there was one day that I had to take Alexis to her social work appointment and she really didn't want to go. And my mom wasn't here. So I called my mom. I was like, mom, like Alexis doesn't want to get out of bed. Like she says she doesn't want to go. Like what am I supposed to do? And she's like, well, just like, you know, tell her that she has to go to her appointment, she knows she needs this, and that, um, you know, that she'll feel better afterwards, and all that stuff, so I went down to her bedroom, and I just tried to connect with her, and, like, ask her, like, what it is she's feeling exactly, and I remember her just looking at me, and she's like, it feels like there's a black hole, and it's just sucking everything out of me, and she just really, she's like, I have no energy to do anything like I'm just so tired of all of this and mm-hmm. um, eventually after talking to her we uh, she agreed to come she said I'll just go up I'll take a shower and then she's like I'll come as long as I can drive because at that point she had her learners so she was you know wanting to practice her driving when she could so yeah, yeah I was like okay sounds good I was like you can drive. That, that's the rebuttal <laughs> <laughs> I was like, let's go. So then she got out of bed and we got there and, you know, she felt better afterwards. And yeah, so that was a struggle of a day, but we got through it. And then things just kept happening. Like she was just up and down, up and down. And there was one day that she had left home for three or four days and we hadn't seen her. And then this was another event that was around me. She came home, I was at school at the time, just to get some things, and my dad was here, and uh, my dad texted me just being like, oh, like, Alexis just went into your room to get some leggings I think she took, and I was like, oh, okay, I was like, that's kind of weird, because, you know, she has her own leggings, but I was like, okay, cool, and then she left again, because my dad wasn't going to, like, make her stay against her will or anything, or, you know, he just was careful to watch her and make sure she wasn't going to do anything to, like, take from the house or do anything dangerous around. So um, she left, and then it wasn't until the next morning that it kind of hit me. I was just like, oh, my God, like, my dance team fundraising money is in that drawer. And I had $2,000 in there for sweaters for the team. So I, like, immediately checked the drawer, and the money was gone, and there was a note from Alexis being like, I owe you, like, I can give you the money back. It's in my bank account. I just don't have access to my bank right now. So... I, you know, I panicked. I was like, Dad, like, Alexis stole my fundraising money. And so we didn't know what to do. We knew where she was. We knew she was up at her friend's place. So we 
had to get the police involved again. So we went up with the police and uh, Alexis gave the money back. And then we, my mom showed up at this point. We tried to get her to come to, uh, to get the police to take her down to the eMERGE to get her assessed. But Alexis disagreed and she didn't want to go. So the police like can't do anything in that situation. They can't willingly take somebody against their will um, mm-hmm. without like... They can sometimes, but, like, not the situation, like, he just wasn't able to, and, like, he tried calling, and, like, he kept her in the car as long as he could for us, because we were just, like, let her settle down, and, like, Alexis got on the line with um, the mobile, or, yeah, the mobile crisis team again, they just dialed, or, or Alexis dialed them and spoke to them, and after that conversation, she was, like, okay, like, I'll go to the hospital to get assessed and so she agreed to get in the car with my mom and I so then we drove down to the IWK because their psychiatry goes up until 18 I think it is so Mm -hmm. we went there and Alexis refused to get out of the car she was like I said I'd come here I didn't say I'd get out of the car so my mom got the social worker and the intake nurse to come out to the car and just talk to Alexis for a bit and then my mom had a conversation with the social worker afterwards, and I think this is one of the worst things somebody's ever said to my mom. They told her to let Alexis hit rock bottom, that this isn't the bottom yet. And once she hits rock bottom, then she'll be coming and looking for more help and stuff. And, you know, so we were just like, oh, my God, like, what do we do now? Like, this just didn't work. So we drove around. We were like, Alexis doesn't want to come home. Like, they told us to take her to, like, a group shelter or something, let her check those places out. So we drove around and then we thought of the choices program, which is through the IWK that my mom has heard of before. So we went there yeah. and she talked to one of the intake workers there and um, that lady convinced her to come home, but it, you know, it didn't last long. Like she just kept wanting to leave. And anyways, it was by December that things just completely, she just wasn't holding on and wasn't coping anymore. And, on December 6th, it was late, and uh, it was like one in the morning, and one of Alexis' best friends called up my mom being like, um, I think Alexis is going to hurt herself. Like, she just called me saying that she wants to die, and so my mom, like, sprung out of bed and ran downstairs, and Alexis had locked herself in her bathroom and wouldn't come out for my mom. Like, sh- she was answering, so we knew that she was okay, but she wouldn't, she didn't want to come out. So my mom's like, Alexis, like, you have to come out, or I'm going to have to get the police here. And so we had to get the police there again. And somehow I slept through all of this situation. So then the police got Alexis out of the bathroom, and they took her straight to eMERGE. And my mom came mm-hmm. up and woke me up, and I was like, oh, my God, like, how did I sleep through police coming in the house and, like, all of that stuff? But... Anyways, I did somehow, and she got me up, and we went down to Emerge to be with Alexis, and um, this night, is the night before she passed away, she talked to one of the Emerge doctors there, and they assessed her as low risk, and um, she, they took a verbal contract from Alexis that she wasn't going to hurt herself, and uh, the doctor that evening just like, offered to give her one Ativan to help her have a good night's sleep. So we came back home, and I was like, Alexis, like, do you want to sleep up in my bed? Like, you can have a sleepover. So she did, um, and we slept through that night together. And then that morning, it was around 11 o'clock when I got up, and I had to study for exams. So I 
like went over to Alexis. I told her how much I loved her and that maybe that evening once I get back, we can go for frozen yogurt or like to a movie or something or something fun. And she's like, yeah, that would, mm-hmm. that, that probably sounds good. And she's like, I love you too. And then I left. And then later that afternoon I came home and I was in the driveway and my grandma came running out and she was on the phone. And at that moment I just knew what had happened. Um, yeah. And then everything just kind of, you, you just feel like the world is like, hold out under your feet when you run into a house and there's that situation and your mom's like, my mom was doing CPR on Alexis and yeah, it's, it's, it's hard to see that and I started panicking and screaming and it didn't take long for the emergency team to get here and um, luckily our, our neighbor's actually an emergency doctor so he came running over and helped my mom and we got her to the hospital but she only held on for like 12 hours and passed away in the early hours of December 8th. And wow. Yeah, so that's kind of her story. <laughs> wow. And how frustrating it was for us to deal with so many people in the fall and trying. Like, I think the biggest issue with mental health, like, it's not necessarily the stigma around it anymore. So I think our generation is really good with, like, like, we have so many mental health weeks, mental health days. Like, we're so aware of all these things, and, you know, we know to talk about everything. But I think now the frustrating thing is, like, talking about everything. But, like, you, Alexis brought it all forward. She would talk about it, but she wasn't – she didn't feel like she was getting help or nobody was helping her. She didn't feel like mm-hmm. she was getting any benefit from talking about it. So then she's like, what's the point of talking about it if nobody's going to – like help me or like constantly lost hope and was constantly frustrated with having to retell her story over and over again that's great i wish i had more words right now and i physically have nothing (laughs) nothing (laughs) just the whole the whole process is we go through talking to so many people on this show and and so many different stories and a lot of the times people don't know what actually happens with situations like this. They don't know that, um, obviously for Alexis, she did reach out for help. She was doing so many different things to try to be in the right hands and inevitably still, you know, this is where we end up. And now you're telling her story and, and trying to shed light on the conversation that was being had. And I can only imagine how your family reacted after that, feeling like you've been doing everything you possibly can and how does it still end up like this? What was it kind of like for your family to, you know, I, I can only imagine the emotion that's behind it, but did, did you guys feel like there was something you didn't do for her? I think there's always going to be, like, the what-ifs, and, like, what if we did this, and what if we, like, intervened a bit more, what if we pulled back a bit more, but, you know, everybody just tells us that we did everything we could. We did everything right. You know, we flew extended family home to be here and support her. We took her to all of her appointments. We tried to motivate her and encourage her. And, like, as a sister, I didn't want to, like, cry too much at her. So I remember there was one night in the fall, too, that we – I was like, okay, this could be fun. Like, Alexis, why don't we go get um, paint boards and we'll do, like, a paint night in and – so we went and we did like a three-piece panel painting each and we went and bought a bunch of like acrylic paints and 
had this really nice evening together. Like, I just tried to do things that would, like, uplift her and include her so she wouldn't be alone and she wouldn't, uh, like, get into bad or do bad habits. And, you know, so I just tried to always, like, include her in things with my friends as well. We would have game nights, and I would ask her to come be a part of that. And I just tried to do things that would uplift her and hopefully help. But I know there was, like, just the way she was, she always just cared more about what other people were going through. Because I remember at the time I was going through um, a terrible breakup with a long-term boyfriend. And she would, when she would leave home, she would always text my mom, like, is Ashley okay, though? Or, like, you know, is she, is she doing anything? Like, is she okay? And she would always just want to make sure that I was okay. And my mom's like, Alexis, like, are you okay? Like, can you come home? Or, like, can you talk to me about right. you? And so I think there is a lot of, like, her just wanting to help other people, but she, like, she wanted to help herself as well, but she, I think she was just so frustrated about helping herself, too. It's still one of those conversations that people, unless it's something, obviously, for you guys, you've gone through it as a family, and now you know the importance behind everything, and I mean, I think in America, I think it's 47 or 48,000 Americans die by suicide every year with 1.3 or 4 million attempts. Um, obviously that's just America, but unless you're directly related to it, people don't understand what's actually going on, uh, it behind the scenes. And for you guys, it was, it was like you did everything you could. And I can only imagine how frustrating that is. But now looking back three years, you've been able to tell this story and really shed light on a conversation that's needed. But what else would you do? I honestly don't know, and I have people that reach out to me, and, like, they're, like, my daughter's struggling, like, what should I do, and it's, like, I I don't know what to tell them, because it's, like, I, what, whatever we did apparently didn't work, and we, you know, we tried to use so many different outlets to get help and everything, and, so, you know, I just tell them everything that we did, and that hopefully those uh, resources will help them, but... You, you just don't know, and I don't know what other advice to give people, like, other than just telling what we did and what we used as resources. But it's it's hard because every situation is different, too, and everyone's depression presents differently. And it's Absolutely. Just, yeah, it's hard to know if somebody's in a terminal situation or if they're going to pull through it, too, and you just don't mm -hmm. know. <laughs> so flipping the page a bit, I know – uh, you guys did a couple events uh, after that. I think you guys were getting into high schools and stuff with jewelry and, and the Believe in Hope stuff. Um, what kind of sparked that and what was what was the logic behind really wanting to do that? Originally, it was, you know, around Alexa's funeral, everybody's like, what can we donate to? And my mom didn't know. She was just like, well, like, we'll collect everybody's money, but we don't know what we should put it towards, like something mental health related or you know, adolescent mental health and stuff. And then we thought afterwards, after like a month or so of our grieving, that maybe we should like make an endowment in Alexa's name and start something mm -hmm. that we can increase education and awareness within high schools and promote early on education and provide that resource to teachers. And so we developed this fund that uh, schools can apply for and, uh, they just have to fill out an application and submit it to the IWK Foundation with, um, like, their whole proposal of what they want to do. And then 
uh, we choose as part of the committee, we decide which projects will support that year. And so this year is actually our first year where we have started to support programs. So we have two that we actually just gave to go ahead to for the spring. Um, one of them is called Headstrong, and it's going to be like a summit for grade nine students, I guess, that uh, teachers okay. and 80 students are going to get to go to, and there's going to be mental health professionals there, and they're going to talk about, you know, warning signs and intervention and um, different resources that students can use and noticing it in your friends and all that stuff. So we totally wanted to support that initiative because we knew that Alexis's depression started, like, early in grade nine. And then we right. used CPS now for two years. They've had a project going. So it's called the go-to, and they revamped it again this year to um, include more students' body awareness and stuff. So we are supporting that project again as well. And I think awesome. we just wanted to, like, not let Alexa's story die. We wanted to do something meaningful and put our energy towards events that we, like, we just wanted to help people and if we could like save one more life from the way that Alexis passed away that would be a success for us um grief for other people that are in my situation of having like lost a sister in my mom's situation or my parents situation of losing a daughter um I just think like with grief um it's definitely affected our family differently for every single person and it, I just think mm -hmm. it's important to stress how important it is to like lean on your family and let other people like be there for you when you need it. But it's also important to know that there's like no right one way, one right way of grieving and that, you know, not to discredit other people. So I know some people in my family are like, Ashley, like you don't let yourself cry often enough about Alexis, but just because I present my grief differently or channel it differently, it doesn't mean that it's any less real or like my pain is any less than anybody else's. And for sure. Yeah, and like I just have different, we all have different coping mechanisms and some are better than others. And I think, uh, yeah, it's just, you know, it's important to have your coping mechanisms in place. And, you know, for me, yoga is a big one. So it just helps to ground me and like give stability in my life. And I think it's right. the best thing to do for your mind and body, honestly. But <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you've got to take care of your mental health alone. I mean, after that, like everyone who is directly um, involved in Alexis's life, I, you have to do so much to mentally keep yourself stable. Yeah, it's true. And like after Alexis passed away too, like I knew that I couldn't go back to school full time. So I reduced my course load and like I was doing my honors at the time. So I finished up that part of it. But um, I ended up taking an extra semester to finish up my last few courses as well. And, you know, my, I remember actually right when Alexis passed away, I would have night terrors too. Like I woke up screaming in the middle of the night and it, that was scary. And I had to work through my visions of like her death and, you know, the dreams that would come at night for me was, was difficult. Um, yeah. And I yeah. mean, my family, we also went to family grief counseling too for a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. But yeah, it's real. It's so important to take care of yourself. And I think that sometimes we feel selfish for, you know, for putting ourselves first or like, you know, doing stuff just solely for ourselves. But I don't think there's anything selfish about trying to make yourself happy in a situation that there's always going to be this sadness moving over and it's so important to put your happiness first and do things that 
make you feel good and make your mind feel good and your body feel good. And there's nothing wrong with that at all. Just put yourself first for that. I think that goes right, right back to, you know, taking care of yourself. If you are suffering, you have to realize that you need to come first sometimes. And as, as much as you want to help other people, sometimes you're the most important person. Yeah, I totally agree with that too. Well, I think you're having success to say the least. Um, it's, it's been an honor to have you here on the show. I know that story is not easy to tell, um, but I, I can only stress the importance of, of people that listen to our podcast. And um, there's there's going to be someone that you helped by telling that story. And I, I know how tough it is to tell that. Um, I, I can't thank you enough for coming on the show. I can't thank your family enough for doing the stuff they're doing uh, in the community. Um, and I think you guys are really creating such a great conversation. So thanks again for coming on air. I appreciate it, Ashley. be on the show and for you to have asked me to come on here and share the story and hopefully it will um, reach a lot of people and uh, yeah I'm really grateful to have been on the show. (laughs) Oh my pleasure to say the least. Uh, That'll wrap everything up here on episode 2.7 of Never Give Up Radio. I know Albie wasn't able to make it on air this week uh, but I do want to extend my appreciation from the both of us and everyone here at NGU. And uh, thanks again for coming on Air Fletch. I do want to encourage you guys to check out the fundraiser we have going on right now. We're trying to raise $5,000 um, for three different mental health associations. Uh, that's going to tie together with our final episode of this season, which is going to be our panel discussion here in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. So uh, I encourage you guys to check that out online. You can check it out in our bio on any social media platforms. And um, every, every penny truly counts. So I'd appreciate anything you guys can give. And uh, hopefully we can uh, reach our goal of $5,000. So thanks again. We'll see you guys next week.